evening. I am, uh, like I said before, during the uh, the prayer time, I'm I'm really excited about this series. Actually, I I felt that God is calling us as a church to go deeper into prayer and into the very heart of God. And um, what better way to do that than to dive into the Lord's prayer over the next six weeks? Um, in fact, we're we're calling the sermon series "Changing the World One Prayer at a Time." Changing the world one prayer at a time. And I just, I just think that the Lord's Prayer is one of the most incredible gifts that Jesus gives to us because deep down at our very core, every human being has a longing to worship. In fact, anthropologists have yet to discover a culture that does not in some way worship. We're all drawn to God. But the fact of the matter is that relating to God through prayer is not easy. What do we say? How do we say it? How long should we pray? How should we approach God in the first place? Well, the great thing about the Lord's Prayer is that we don't have to be anxious about those questions. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in Heaven who is very, very near. In fact, let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to pull it up there on screen. And I, I, I said this last week, but I recognize it as a, as a new church. There's all these kind of like... Uh, how do you say the Lord's Prayer together for the first time? Do we use trespasses or forgive us our sins or our debts? So we're going to learn a way as the Letter Streets Covenant Church way. And I think we're going to get it up there. There we go. So let's say it together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We focused on hallowed be your name. And this evening, we're going to look at the second petition. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And first thing, before we dig into this any deeper, I just want to state the obvious. That the Lord's Prayer is the most, or at least one of the most, memorized pieces of Scripture in the entire world. And many, you know, many of us grew up saying the Lord's Prayer. We may have learned it in Sunday school, or maybe you didn't even go to church, but you kind of know pieces of it just because it's so common. It's become, for better or worse, familiar. And so familiar that sometimes I fear it's kind of lost its power with us as we say it. Sometimes we forget how powerful a prayer it really is, or more accurately, how powerful is the Father to whom we pray this prayer. If you get too familiar with powerful things, you just might get more than you bargained for. When I was 13 years old, I worked at a Christmas tree farm. My best friend and his family owned a tree farm, and so it was a you-cut place, and I would go help people who didn't want to cut their own trees, cut them down, or tie them up to their car. And inevitably, at the end of the season, there'd be some diseased trees or trees left over that you had to cut down and pile up. 
And so months went by with this big pile of dead trees in the middle of a gravel parking lot on their, on their acreage. Come springtime, my friend's dad said, You boys, I want you to go burn that pile of trees. What an awesome task for pyromaniac 13-year-olds. And for some reason, probably testosterone, we thought the fire would be better with gasoline. Gasoline. One of the most familiar forms of fuel in America. Right, McAvoy? Common, familiar fuel. We invoked the power of gasoline that day, not knowing what we were really doing. Now, this pile of trees, you've got to imagine, it was over our heads and, I don't know, 20 feet by 20 feet by 10 feet high. And so we thought we needed lots of gasoline. Six gallons of gasoline. Now, later when I was doing hazmat work as an adult, I found out that one gallon of gasoline has the same energy as a stick of dynamite. But I didn't know that then... And we poured all this gas on these trees and we left, you know, like in the movies, a little line of gasoline about 25 feet away. And we lit it and hid behind a truck. Now, tough guys don't look at explosions, so we had our backs to it. And all I remember was heat, flash, and burning pieces of tree falling all over us. You can use gasoline to start a fire, but you'd better be ready for it. It will alter your life as you know it. And praying the next petition in the Lord's Prayer, Your Kingdom Come, is a lot like praying with gasoline. Now before we dive in and I explain what I just said, let's look at the structure of the prayer. Rosemary, let's put that up there. Structure of the Lord's Prayer. This is what we did last week. Father, our, this is how it is in the Greek, and I just put it in English, but the Greek words are Father, our, the one in the heavens, be hallowed your name on earth as it is in heaven. I want to point out one thing here. The first line, Father our, the one in the heavens, and the third line, on earth as it is in heaven, modify the three petitions in the middle. So watch this. Rosemary, go to the next slide. Today, it's appropriate for us to say, Father our, the one in the heavens, come, your kingdom, on earth as it is in heaven. And you can guess that next week we're going to be saying, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, our, the one in the heavens, come, your kingdom, on earth as it is in heaven. Another observation that you, you just can't see in the English is that the three petitions, hallowed be your name, come your kingdom, and be done your will, are all in what's called the imperative sense, the imperative mood in the Greek. Now, this is what's so radical about that. In Jesus' culture and in Greek culture during that day, a subordinate would never use the imperative to speak to a superior. Thanks for making noise. A subordinate would never use the imperative to speak to a superior. Okay, but here Jesus is teaching us to pray in the imperative towards God. He's saying, speak to God as your Father, but tell Him boldly, come, your kingdom. Now, there's a caveat. It's in this thing called the imperative passive. And the passive is instead of bring your kingdom right now, it's more like bring your kingdom, please. 
it, it, it's a, the passive makes it a little more respectful so that we can confidently pray this prayer to God without feeling like we are overstepping our bounds. But what makes this prayer work is that we're, a, we're praying to our Father who loves us as children, who invites us to come to Him with boldness. And we're praying to our Father who has every resource at His disposal to make this prayer happen. Now, what is the kingdom? Ha! I could never say, I could never go over that in, in a million sermons. But I think it would be helpful to maybe try and understand what Jesus meant when He said, pray for the kingdom to come. What did He have in mind? What did He expect His original audience to understand when they prayed this prayer? Well, the people of Israel were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the entire world. God revealed Himself, His character, all to them so that they would be priests. Priests among the nations. Now, not like really stuffy guys with collars and stuff, but priests are intermediaries between people and God. So God chose this unlikely group of Hebrew people to reveal Himself to. They were weak. They were few in number. They were not all that glamorous compared to the Egyptians and all these other great cultures. But He chose this ragtag group of Hebrew people to reveal Himself to so that they would share with all the nations around them and that the whole world would come to know God as God. God was not only their God and Father, but He was their King he provided for them, defended them, gave them the law so that they could experience life to the fullest. And over the years, Israel decided that they wanted to be like the other nations. Instead of having God for their king, they wanted to have human kings. And so, they did. They began to have human kings. They began to worship other gods. And for centuries, Israel lived in these cycles, these ebbs and flows of deep idolatry and, and resisting against God. And then they would repent and say, sorry, and God would embrace them. And then they would sin again and go into idolatry. And so finally, they went into oppression and they went into exile under foreign kings. In exile, they didn't have any king of their choosing. They were slaves. Now, it's in this exile that prophets just like Isaiah, like was read earlier, received word from God that one day He would rescue His people. In fact, they promised that one day God Himself would come and be king. He would be present and He would be king. And on that day, God would come and bring His reign to earth, His kingdom, just as it is in heaven. So while Jesus is teaching this prayer, His people are under Roman rule, oppression by the Caesar. So when Jesus tells His disciples to pray for the Father's kingdom to come, He's asking that, that they would pray for a new world order, for God to be king instead of Caesar. Imagine how subversive that would be. Imagine how Caesar would feel about people praying that prayer. Get you in a lot of trouble. So what is the kingdom of God? Dallas Willard describes it as the kingdom of God is the effective range of God's will. It's where what, God's want, where what God wants done is done. Where what God wants done is done. 
in heaven, in the realm where He exists in fullness right now, where what He wants done is done. And on earth, well, He respects our dignity too much to impose Himself. And so He lets us be at the mercy of our choices. Why do we pray, come your kingdom? We pray, come your kingdom, because there are rival kingdoms. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created plants and animals. He created all things, and He made us, human beings, the groundskeepers of this great, awesome garden. How cool would it be to be the people to get to name all the animals and to eat fruit and stuff that you didn't grow and to run around naked and that's okay. Best of all, the first people had an unbroken relationship with God, the living God of the universe. But as we well know, humans thought the grass was greener on the other side. That their father and king did not know what was best for them. So they rebelled. And they began living with the consequences ever since. In fact, you and I are rebels too. How do we know? Just look at the world we live in. Look at the societies we form. One of my pet peeves is when people say, Oh, society is so bad, it's so this, it's so that. Guess what? You and I are part of our society. And sometimes as good as we think we are, we're part of the system as well. We're rebels. We experience things like death and pain, injustice, inequality, greed... And so far, no government, no philosophy, no ideology has provided a solution to adequately deal with evil. It's just not working out in our own strength. So why do we pray, come your kingdom? Because deep down, we know there must be something better. Something other besides what we can do. Deep down, I think, and I'll just speak for myself, deep down, I'm desperate for God to be God. Every wound you bear or loss you've suffered is a reminder that this life is not as good as it gets. Every time you wish you were something better, someone more loving, someone wiser, it reminds us of our need for Father and King to make things right where we cannot. And here's where this prayer becomes really dangerous. Here's where familiarity can blind us to the power of this petition. When we pray, Your kingdom come, we're at the same time saying, Father, Your kingdom come, no one else's kingdom. Not the kingdom of America, not the kingdom of Chris, not Your kingdom. When we pray, Your kingdom come, we're not praying for whatever we want. We're not praying for whatever we think the kingdom should be like or will be like. We're praying that God's kingdom would come as it actually exists. And I think that we're all going to be a bit surprised when that happens. On the cover of your bulletin, there's a quote by Annie Dillard. It goes like this. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? 
The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. We are not playing church. We are worshiping the living God of the universe. And when we pray pray this prayer, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we'd better be ready. Because we are praying for nothing short of a revolution. And you know what? Revolutions always require change. Dale Bruner says, Every time we pray, Thy kingdom come, we should in the same breath pray, Lord, please help us to want Your kingdom to come. So, what exactly are we praying? What exactly are we praying? There's two main aspects to this prayer, Your kingdom come. First, there's the aspect that the coming kingdom is a future event. When the kingdom comes in fullness, it will be less about the end of time and more about the beginning, about new creation. In this prayer, we're asking that the kingdom of God become fully present and established right here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is not some faraway place we go when we die. The Christian gospel is not that we'll go away to heaven when we die. It's that when we die... We die. And then we are resurrected into new life, into the new creation, the kingdom of God. It's this new creation where there will be no death, no decay, no evil, no suffering. And we'll have incredibly glorified bodies to match. That's, that's good news. And no wonder the early church prayed, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Because for all who put their faith in Jesus and call God Father, when He reappears, He brings new life, eternal life, and an eternal home with Him. Now, the second aspect to the kingdom of God is an amazing fact. And that's that Jesus declared that with His arrival, so arrived the kingdom of God. Last September, I had the privilege of attending a church planters training event in Denver, sponsored by the Evangelical Covenant Church. And I was fortunate to be able to take Eric Frazier, Candace Kennedy, Ian McFarlane, and Christine Wasserman. We all got to go to this thing. And there we learned that it's wise if every church plant, and in fact every church, have what's called a Zera verse. Zera is the Hebrew word for seed. So a core verse that kind of defines your vision, defines who you're going to be as a church. Our Zera verse, or seed verse, is Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. And He was preaching the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's come near. Repent and trust in the gospel. Jesus did not say that the final day had come. He didn't say that the kingdom had come in fullness. 
But he did say that with his presence, the kingdom of God had broken in to real time and real space, that heaven and earth in a unique way had kissed each other. And what that means for us with these two aspects of future and present kingdom is that we're living in the tension between the inauguration of the kingdom's arrival and the end. That day when Jesus will reappear bringing His kingdom in fullness. We continue to live in a fallen world, but we see glimpses of the kingdom breaking in all around us. Think about it. Every time we experience compassion, mercy, and justice, we experience glimpses of the kingdom of God. Every time we're loved or share love, we experience just a taste of the kingdom. Every form of beauty and goodness is the fleeting scent of the kingdom, almost as if the kingdom of God is is a great meal in an oven that you smell, but it's just not quite done yet. And the great news is that every deed done in this time between times will in some way be represented in fullness in the kingdom when it comes. Which brings me to a small but extremely important detail. And this would be a great time just to wake up in this heat. We're praying to our Father to bring the kingdom. Not praying that He would help us bring the kingdom. Let me say that one more time. We're praying to our Father for Him to bring His kingdom. Not that He would help help us bring the kingdom. We don't bring the kingdom. We respond to the kingdom breaking in. And we respond to the King. We experience His love and His mercy and His grace and we respond in kind. That might seem like a small nuance, but it's a huge difference. Many of you helped with the school supply drive, either picking up supplies from our neighbors or donating earlier today. And in helping our local school and blessing our neighborhood children, we're not bringing the kingdom. But we're pointing to it. Our responses become signposts of the kingdom. Signposts of the kingdom. Or evidence that it is breaking in. God is doing it. We're responding to it. And when people see that, they see a sign pointing to something better. The kingdom of God. It's a huge difference because the gospel or good news is about Jesus and what He's already done and what He will do. It's not about what we have to do. Breathe deeply. The kingdom of God is coming whether you and I do anything or not. But here's my take on it. Since it is coming, we might as well get used to it. We might as well get used to living kingdom-type lives. Lives of love, of mercy, of compassion. Striving for justice. Not in our strength, but in the strength of Christ. And there's more good news. There's hope in this time of tension we live in. E. Stanley Jones made the observation that the early Christians never said, look what the world has come to. The early Christians said, look what has come into the world. 
Jesus came into the world and announced the coming of the King and the coming kingdom. And that means lots of things. For starters, it means that Caesar wasn't in charge. It means that Satan is not in charge. It means that presidents and dictators and prime ministers, they're not in charge. Thugs and perpetrators of injustice, they're not in charge. Not even death has the final word. Amen? Come on now. These things are way easier said than done. It's way easier for me to preach this stuff than to live it out. And that's why I find pastor theologian Helmut Tilika so inspiring to me. Tilika pastored a church in Stuttgart during World War II. He stood against the Nazi regime. But like Bonhoeffer, he did not leave Germany. He pastored those people right there in the midst of it all. He was preaching a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And days before he was going to preach this petition, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The church building where they gathered was bombed. And that Sunday he preached his sermon in the choir loft. This is an amazing quote. This is the opening to his sermon. Isn't it a comfort, a peculiar message in the fact that after all the conflagrations that have swept through our wounded city, a sermon can begin with these words. We shall continue our study of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer encompasses all of life. I remember vividly September 11th, 2001. I was at a hardware store. I was doing construction as I was working my way through school. And I was wondering what we were going to preach on that Sunday. We had a, a totally different series lined up. It was not on the Lord's Prayer. And rightfully so, the pastor altered his message, altered the text to deal with a contemporary issue. He wouldn't have had to have done so if he was preaching on the Lord's Prayer. Telica says, The Lord's Prayer encompasses the whole world and therefore it includes us too in this terrible, exceptional situation of life in which we're all involved. Friends, there's nothing... Nothing outside the scope of the Lord's Prayer. There's no corner too dark, no experience too terrible to escape the glorious light of the inbreaking kingdom. But we have to have eyes to see it. Do we recognize God's goodness and grace or are we blinded by our own sense of entitlement and narcissism? Part of this prayer then, God help us to see your kingdom coming. Help us to want it to come. Oh, bring it, Lord. Let me close with more of Telica's story. After the church was bombed, Telica was on site and a woman approached him. She said her husband had died in that crater and they'd only found bits of his cap. She said... We were there the last time you preached in the cathedral church. And here before this pit, I want to thank you for preparing him for eternity. All 
of a sudden, God had opened a door to His kingdom in the moment of catastrophe and in the midst of the collapse of the personal worlds of two persons. There it was between that woman and myself. I could not express this time at the time. Of course, the word simply did not come to me. There are moments when we become speechless as children. And God can take our very lack of words and make it a praise. That's how God can comfort. That's how the kingdom can come. Now God's rule is hidden beneath the cross. And only he who accepts the cross knows the secret. What could you do with that bomb crater without the cross? The cross is a reminder that through Jesus there is no wound that is eternal. No inch of this world is unredeemable. I mentioned last week that the Lord's Prayer is like a scaffolding. It's like a template. It's, it's not made to limit what we can pray, but it's an awesome starting point. What I want to do is ask us to break into small groups, you can two to three to four, however many, and pray that God's kingdom would come into your particular life places. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe you are praying that God's kingdom would come into your workplace or into your family or into this neighborhood or, in, or into our country or into our world, whatever it is. How is God putting it on your heart to pray that the light and truth of His kingdom would break into this world? Let's take a few minutes and, and pray together. If you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to. But if you'd like to break into small groups and do that, uh, let's do that.